I'm Robert Paquin, and this is the Hold for Further Study Show. Welcome to the first of, I hope, many podcasts highlighting candidates, politicians, and newsmakers in Rhode Island. Today's show is sponsored by the East Castle Group, the experts in corporate social responsibility and crisis communication. If you're watching the world right now, you know how important having a conscience is in business. East Castle Group is the solution. Call 646-801-6322 for more information or email them at info at eastcastlegroup.com. Please tell them I sent you. Diving into our first episode, I am so excited to have Jen Douglas on the show today. She's a Democrat running for state Senate in District 34. She started late back in 2018, wanting to see things done differently in her district. She is back for round two against GOP incumbent Senator Elaine Morgan. While the GOP generally has trouble holding seats in Rhode Island, Senator Morgan is well-known and outsmoking, certainly a formidable opponent. So let's find out what Jen is up to as we enter the final stretch of the campaign. Well, Jen, thank you so much for being our first guest on the show. Uh, We're very excited to have you here. Thank you for taking time from your Labor Day. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate this. Thank you. Oh, absolutely. So I'm really interested in your race. Can you tell me just a little bit about your Senate district that you're running in, the towns that are in there, maybe you know, how they differ politically or uh, socioeconomically. What are you finding out there? And, and just, you know, kind of let me know uh, who you're talking to and that type of thing. I am running in State Senate District 34, which includes part of Charlestown, part of West Greenwich, all of Richmond, all of Hopkinton, and all of Exeter. And it is a purple district. We have a, a pretty good mix of Republicans and Democrats and quite a few independents. And it's going to be really interesting to see which way the district goes this year if they want to continue to vote Republican. Um, They had gone overwhelmingly for Obama in the two elections and then went for Trump in the last one. So I'm I'm curious to see how it's going to lean this time around. I'm hoping (laughs) How do you think that could affect you as a – uh, candidate for state senate, though, because certainly some of the items that are on the national political stage really have no relevance to your district or the state. Um, so how do you how do you feel that affects the race? Um, it's going to be interesting to see how people vote down ballot in this race or if they vote down ballot in the race. That's one thing that I'm curious about and what I'm looking at. I mean, really what it comes down to at this point is, I think, getting people out to vote, getting people out and excited to vote this time around. I, I'm hoping to get people motivated enough to head to the polls, even if they're not entirely enthusiastic about one of the presidential candidates, getting them out there to vote down ballot, because I think every single race is important. State Senate, representative, down to town council and dog catcher. I mean, everything this year. Absolutely. I think a lot that's up for grabs that will really affect how our lives are going to be affected in the next couple of years. It's kind of interesting to think about the down ballot races outside of um, outside of some of the national talk and whatnot, um, be it the primary um, or be it the general election. And I, it's a little bit comical to me because if you think back a few years ago to um, Ken Block, uh, obviously he's been associated with the moderate party and the GOP, as well as some other GOP folks 
were actually able to, you know, get the straight party ticket voting off of the ballot. And that was generally seen as a benefit to the GOP. However, in your case, I actually think it might benefit you as the Democrat in the race. Do you think that's accurate? I think that's accurate. I think there's definitely a possibility there. It's it's really one of the most left-right races around, <laughs> and it's in, it's going to be interesting to see if people take the time to really research the candidates, find out what their platforms are, and what really more aligns with their beliefs when it comes to voting down ballot. Right, right. And and I, I don't think it's any stretch to, um, say, put the words in your mouth that you're a Biden supporter based on what I've seen. Yes. I mean, it's, it's also fair to say Biden was not my first choice of candidate when it comes okay. to the presidential race. However, I fully enthusiastically and am supporting Biden. Um, I truly believe that we will not survive. Democracy will not survive four more years of the Trump administration. And I, I truly believe that we need someone in there, as moderate as he may be, we can still push him a little further left if we want to. And we need somebody who just has compassion and decency in, in the office of the president right now. Yeah, understood. Um... I guess so. I'm curious. I know strategically, at least what I would be telling you to do is to focus on unaffiliated voters and then and then the Democratic base, which obviously you shouldn't have to worry about. But uh, either way, you're going to find unaffiliated that are uh, big time Trump supporters or, you know, even general Trump supporters that just aren't very politically involved. Are you finding the ability to gain their trust despite their allegiance to the GOP at the higher level? Or are you finding... Uh, that that people are just so dead set in where they're going that that they may not be willing to talk to a Democrat just because of their top level association, you know, with with the president presidency and the race for president. I'm actually fine. I, I am right now concentrating solely on the unaffiliated voters. Um, after the primary in a few more weeks, I'm going to start reaching out to Democrats also because I believe it's important to speak to people. And, and gain their trust also. But I've been doing phone banking pretty much every single night for months now. And I do speak to a lot of the unaffiliated voters. And even the ones who are Trump supporters, they've been wonderful taking the time to listen. And I think one of the things that I haven't officially won any of them over, but I've definitely had good conversations where when I think I circle back to speak to them again, it will be interesting to see how they how their allegiances lie, a lot of them really are just looking for something different. They're not necessarily looking for the same, you know, cookie-cutter candidate they, they get in front of them every single year, which is why I think a lot of people went for Trump originally. They just were looking for someone who thought differently. Outside of the box, yeah. Outside of the box, 100%. And whether or not they agree now that they maybe made a mistake or if they're still going to support that, that's fine. But I think people are just looking for someone who is not going to go in there and vote status quo on every vote, somebody who is not going to uphold all of the systems that are so ingrained right now that we can't seem to make any changes in this state. So I think they are looking for somebody who is willing to go in there be bold, take action, shake things up a little bit. And I've had more than a few tell me that they're impressed that I'm willing to go in there and do that. So it, it, it's definitely a mixed bag of what I'm getting, but I'm getting mostly positive feedback. And I really, I love talking to people. So it's my favorite thing to do. 
it's definitely a requirement for running for office, so I'm very glad to hear that. Um, speaking of campaigning, you know, this is your second run. Yeah. Uh, that being said, in Rhode Island, most anti-establishment or new candidates need a second run to dump an incumbent. Uh, it's not a slight or, or any judgment on those candidates. It's just, I guess, the reality of, of running for office in a state like Rhode Island. So, you know, that said, um, I'm very curious about the campaigning, and I'm sure it's something we could talk about for two hours, but, um, you know, what is this like with COVID-19? What is this like from your first run to now? What are the differences? What's helped you? What's held you back? I'd love to hear a brief uh, thought on, on the relevancy of the pandemic to your current uh, campaign. Oh, absolutely. And with my last campaign, too, we'll start there. I wasn't planning on running for office. I literally signed my declaration papers on the last possible day you could, turn them in at the last minute, simply because I do not think anybody should run unopposed for office. And I wanted to give the district a choice, but I had no name recognition, no volunteers, no donations. I had no idea what I was doing. So really, the entire campaign was done on the fly. And I had support from wonderful people um, who all came out to help me when I was not expecting it. But it was definitely a time constraint. And then after I lost in the 2018 election in November, I stated the very next day I was going to do it again. So I, I remember been, that, actually, yeah. Yep, I've been actively campaigning now since that day. And I do think that was helpful that I was able to continue making connections, continue talking to people, continue keeping my name out there, continuing with the fundraising. Obviously, we had a lot of plans pre-COVID that now have not been able to occur. Um, I had planned on doing a lot of house parties in the district where I could reach 20 to 30 people at a time, you know, just somebody who's interested reaches out. They say, hey, I'll have a party. You come to their house. You meet their neighbors. You meet their friends. You get to talk about their concerns and what they want to see happen in the district. And it's really one of my favorite things to do because it's really you get that one-on-one time with people and get to hear all these ideas, and and it's it's exciting and wonderful. So I am sad that we don't get to do that. We are going to start doing that more on a smaller scale. 10 to 15 people, maybe a little less depending on people's comfort levels with COVID. But, you know, a few distant house parties throughout the district in the next coming months. Door-to-door was really difficult, obviously, um, when it came to gathering signatures. That was when, you know, people were very, very concerned about this pandemic and nobody really wants to share pens, open doors, talk to people. So we had a few drive-by signing parties where people could come, drive up, sign the papers with a disposable pen and go. Um, but definitely it's been more web-based campaigning than it has been in person up until this point. We've been phone banking consistently for months. Um, we have started doing some door-to-door, and we keep our distance. We you know, wear gloves, wear masks, and people are generally okay with that as long as you stay far away. Some of them want you to leave your literature on the front porch and go, which yeah. is also fine. But it's definitely been more phone calling right now. We'll ramp up the door-to-door in October and, and start hitting more houses. But well, yeah, Hopefully the numbers are lower at that point, and maybe there's some type of treatments that are available. You know, who knows? But yeah, who it, knows? It, sounds like, it sounds like a very bizarro 
uh, election cycle, but really at the end of it, it's just kind of doing the same motions, but doing it safely. Exactly. I, I do miss, like, Richmond has a meet the candidates night that we're not going to be able to have now. Um, things like that, you know, little just events that your local town committees would have. I, I miss those because it was a great way to reach out to people, but it's just not safe to do that now. So that's the one thing that we're missing out on. But in general, it's also going to be really interesting to see who handles all of this best, who really is able to reach the most people in the middle of a pandemic and and get their message out there. Absolutely. It's it's very interesting. Um, Now, I want to take a, a bit of a pivot here and move from the campaign aspect to you know, what, what you're running for, the type of uh, situations that might play out if you get elected. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. I, you're both part of the uh, Rhode Island Political Cooperative and the Democratic Women's Caucus, yes? Correct. Okay. So, I, I mean, it's safe to say that both of these groups are overtly fighting things like climate change, racism, sexism, uh, LGBTQ uh, discrimination um, as part of their platforms. Uh, tell me, and I'm making an assumption here, but I, I think I'll be on, on point. Um, you know, if you could tell me, you know, how you've undertaken some of that responsibility in your own platform when speaking to your constituents, and are they are they on board with some of the basic tenets of both of those institutions? They really are, because what it comes down to is justice for everyone. It is not about, you know, making any one group more important than another. It's about basic equity for all. And we fight for things like a $15 minimum wage because when you pay people, people are able to survive better in the environments that they're in. Um, we believe in fair taxation of the of corporations and the absolute wealthiest Rhode Islanders. Um, we have lost over a billion dollars in, in taxes over the past I think 15 years because we reduced the tax base for the 1%. And right now a middle-class family pays more in taxes than somebody who makes over $490,000 a year. And that is not equitable. So what it really comes down to is when you have a healthy community and healthy communities consist of people who are paid well, people who are able to um, get affordable housing people who are able to get a quality public education. There are all these different instances that really make up a healthy community. And when you have healthy communities, you have happier people, you have less instances of crime, you have less hunger, you have children who perform better, you have people who are able to simply spend time with their families instead of having to work two or three jobs. There are all these different instances that make for a better situation than what they would have without any of these. Right now we are scrambling in this, and and COVID has really uncovered all of it, how we expect our essential workers to work for minimum wage without being able to have any sort of measurable changes to their life. Like they are putting their lives on the line for us to go to work, yet we can barely pay them a living wage that they can't have access to health care. And that's, that's really unfortunate, it's, and it's really sad. And a lot of communities of color that are being hit right now by the COVID crisis, harder than other communities, wealthier communities, 
it's because a lot of them are essential frontline workers and they're being exposed to a virus because they need to keep working. They need to put food on the table. They need to pay their rent. And that's a form of racism. That's a form of, of inequity. And it's something that we really need to work on and we really need to change. Well, it sounds very altruistic. I don't think you're going to knock on too many doors or meet too many voters that would disagree. So I think that's exciting for both of your causes. But uh, well, let me throw a little bit of a curveball at you here, because I'd be curious if you've put any thought into this. This may be very wonky on my part. But, you know, when it comes to the relevance of the GOP uh, in Rhode Island, now I was the executive director of the party for just a year in 2014. And when I came on, I was asked what I was going to do, and I said, I'm going to double our House caucus. And now that sounds really, really great and, and really uh, advantageous to get out there and try and do that, but the reality was we had six reps, so I was only talking about electing another six Republicans. <laughs> and I did. I did it by, by one. Um, Blake Filippi ran as an independent. He decided to caucus with the GOP, so technically we doubled it, and I could feel good about that. Now, that being said, when you've got a number of progressive you know, or call them anti-establishment Democrats that are running against the liberals who have more or less run the state for 80 years, you suddenly split, <clears throat> excuse me, you suddenly split your party a bit. Now, when it comes time to pass legislation, you've got the progressives and the liberals that are going to be fighting to get those GOP votes to put them over the top, potentially. I mean, do you think that this split in the Democratic Party, whether it be just over ideals or whether it be deeper than that, could actually give more power to the Rhode Island GOP over the next coming cycles? Well, it depends on how many GOP maintain their spots also in the uh, in the caucus. So that's something to be said there. Um, but on top of that, I do think there are ways that we can meet in the middle. I think things are so fractured right now because no one is willing to talk about a lot of the issues that we're facing. And, you know, I do agree with some of the GOP on things that they're – they want, such as the line, I believe in the line item veto. I think yep. that's something important to, to talk about, which can only be helpful when it comes to our state budget. Um, I also believe in term limits, which is something that we could also talk about for hours on end. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yes, absolutely. And, and an agreement, I might add. Exactly. But, I mean, I, I think that there's different ways to reach a consensus on things without everything always being so contentious. I mean, I know that they don't like the issue of the fair taxation, but, I mean, we need to find ways to supplement our budget. We need to find ways to really support a lot of the initiatives that are going to make our futures healthier. What we've been doing here in Rhode Island for so long is just kicking the can down the road. Right. We're not addressing actual problems as they arise. We're putting Band-Aids on it and saying we'll worry about it later. And that doesn't work for either party. Um, it is, it's not helpful to, to either one of us to do that anymore. So, you know, maybe possibly getting more progressives into office and working as well as we can with the GOP that's in there already or, you know, winning over some of the Democrats that are already in there to kind of see things from our end. And I do think that that's a possibility, too. Um, I, I just I feel like there are ways that we can work together. I feel like there are ways we're going to have to. You know, that's really what it comes down to. If we want to make this a, a, a state that works for everyone, 
we are all going to have to work together. And there's really just no getting around that at this point. I, I think that that's spot on. I think partisanship in Rhode Island can be poisonous sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, there's a lot of, like I said, a lot of anti-establishment candidates running, whether they be GOP, whether they be, you know, the Kennedy liberal type of folks that just see the corruption there, whether it's your fellow progressives, uh, you know, we're going to see some changes. Um, and, and, you know, to take you off the hot seat for a minute, we'll talk about some of those changes. We're taping this on September 7th, and I'm going to be releasing this on the morning of September 9th. That means tomorrow is primary day in Rhode Island. Now, I don't want to totally put you on the spot here, but I'm going to ask you both, who do you think has the easiest path and the hardest path uh, in, in these Democratic primaries among some of your fellow progressive uh, women caucus, political cooperatives, you know, those candidates? Who do you see, you know, uh, getting through tomorrow very easily and, and, and who's going to be sweating it for the mail ballots? Oh, boy. Um, yeah, I think we're all going to be sweating it through the mail ballot. That is one thing that we're really, we're all very concerned about right now. You know, no matter what happens by tomorrow night, when the votes come in, we know it's going to be a long haul to get through those mail ballots. So we are all a bit tense about that right now. Yep. Uh, and it also, was, it was pretty difficult this year considering that it was hard to get a consensus on what we were going to do about mail ballots. You know, we had, they had to get the ACLU involved in order to um, make plans for collecting signatures safely. And then we couldn't get a mail ballot application mailed to every resident in Rhode Island. They had to request them on their own. And then there was confusion there. So we don't even know what that's going to look like at this point, who, who sent in mail ballots, who's going to vote in person, um, but right now, oh, the most difficult races, they're all hard. Um, yep. They're all going to be very hard hard fought and hard won. But, man, they've all put in a heck of a lot of work. I mean, we've been, we've been actively working very hard now for well over a year to get to where we are together. So it's, it's definitely not going to be from lack of work. No, it, it's been a very interesting run to observe, especially from, from my point of view. I, I, I see Rhode Island changing drastically, really, and, and that to some degree is what brought me to want to talk about these type of things and to, to create a outlet where people can listen to candidates like you because this is the most diverse in every sense of the term mm-hmm. uh, group of candidates that I think I've ever seen in Rhode Island. I started licking envelopes at 16, and I'm 36 now, so the better part of 20 years. I think this is one of the most exciting Senate and, and state rep uh, elections uh, really in my entire time of involvement. And mm. um, I'm really thrilled to see that. I think that, uh, that voters getting out there, not being afraid, this, this discussion about, you know, safety of mail ballots, uh, I think is pushing people on whichever side you feel about it, it's pushing people to say, okay, fine, I'll, I'll go in person or no, I'm going to get my mail ballot. And, and I'm really hoping and praying that that means that there's more turnout and more voters. And I think that's something that any candidate would want to get behind. Absolutely. Access is so important. I mean, the last thing we want is to disenfranchise voters. Um, I'm very curious to see what happens in the race for um, between Lenny Seo and Dominic Ruggiero. Yeah, that's a big one. A huge one. Um, that is really, to me, in my mind, that's a toss-up. I, I really, you know, uh, the Senate president has been in office for a very long time. Um and he has a lot of money and he has a lot of support, but Lenny is fresh and new and smart and dedicated. And 
you know, that one, it's going to be a very, very difficult race. And I think that the, the establishment Democrat sees it that way also because they've spent quite a lot of money on the race. So I think the funding tells you a little bit about how the, how the race is seen, not just in my eyes, but in the eyes of the establishment right now. So that's going to be an interesting one to see. That one's going to be very, very difficult. Um, I, I will say I have seen a lot from Lenny, and I think he's, he's done a really good job putting himself out there. Uh, but it's also important to note, you know, when, when you're looking at somebody uh, like him running against an establishment candidate, you know, like Ruggiero, um, you know, it's not necessarily against Dominic. It's just to say, like you had mentioned, we support term limits. We want change. We want overturn in, in these chambers. We want um we want to see some change and some difference. So I think it's also important that people understand that when you're talking about that race, you know, so many people are looking at this bitter partisan war, oh, um, oh. But, but it's really not. It, it really is just about having a new voice and Lenny has put himself out there and win or lose, you have to congratulate him for doing something like that. Exactly. And I feel that way about all the candidates and that is what it is too. I mean, this is not a personal assault on anyone. This is really the fact that nobody should be, a lifetime, it, a lifer in office. That, right. that just didn't happen. You need a, an overturn. You need an exchange of ideas. You need fresh ideas, fresh perspectives. Otherwise, you stagnate. And that's what it comes down to. There just hasn't been enough change fast enough. And, and the COVID crisis has really highlighted that. Yeah. But the fact is, I mean, even if we can just push, even if, even if the establishment all wins, if we can push them a little bit further to act a little bit quicker in the best interest of middle-class workers, average Rhode Islanders, lower-income people, you know, and, and start to address inequity and climate change and, and, and just justice in general, then I think that we've done a really good job doing it. Um, I think Kendra Anderson's Race is going to be very difficult. She is running for uh, Aaron Lynch Prada's seat. Oh, that's the four-way primary, that right? That is the four-way primary. Yes, very interesting. I think she has a wonderful chance. I'm, I don't think that she, I think she actually has the best chance to win um, because there is just there are three men running against her who all pretty much have the same platform. There, I can't even remember all three names because they're so interchangeable to me. I mean, that is, that is what it comes down to. They, I know, I believe Steve Marola is one of the candidates. I, I remember him from being a Ward 9 uh, city councilman when I was involved in Warwick politics, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, the other two, though, I, I don't I don't Dunkley, remember them ringing a bell. I think Dunkley and Nita are the other two. Oh, and Nita, I, yeah. Yeah, they're just, I mean, there's there's no discernible difference between the three. So really they might split the more moderate vote and then Kendra's going to get the rest of the vote, I hope. She that has would... certainly been out there. Yeah, nobody could accuse her of otherwise. That woman has worked, let me tell you. And she, and it's not just on this campaign. She has been working, all of the candidates that I'm running with have been working so hard behind the scenes for years to enact changes in Rhode Island. I mean, we didn't just wake up one day and go, oh, we're not involved at all, but let's run for office. I mean, they have been putting in the work for a really long time. And I think that really says something about the quality of the candidates, too. It'll be really exciting to see the fruits of their labor. Um, mm -hmm. Again, it's no secret. I'm a former Republican of a very long time. I'm now unaffiliated. Uh, you know, I'm a bit of a libertarian, a bit of a moderate, uh, socially fairly liberal. 
Um, you know, but but I like seeing candidates like her, regardless of the fact that she's a Democrat or, or, or progressive, just to go out there and just be open and honest about what she believes in. And the same could right. be said for you and lots of other candidates, but it's just so different than the campaigning that I'm used to seeing. Everything close to the vest. How do you feel about uh, this crazy issue or this very partisan issue? And, and that's where right. people get caught up. Exactly. And you're, what, that's the whole thing. If you ask any of us, how do you feel about this? You're going to get an honest answer because we're beholden to the people that are electing us. And that is who is, we're going to be beholden to once we're in. Right. And we're not going to lie to you. We're not going to fake it. We're not going to lie to you. We're going to tell you exactly what we want to do, what we want to say, because it's disingenuous and it's dishonest to do otherwise. You can't make everybody happy, but you can make everybody feel heard. And I think that's really important. It's I like that. I might steal that. Did you did you grab that from somewhere, or is that, that a uh, Jen? Just came off the cuff right now. I like but that. It's something I do say a lot: is that everybody wants to be heard, and and I do understand that not everybody will like my point of view, not everybody will agree with my point of view, but as long as I listen to them and understand their concerns and find a way to include their concerns in my work. I think that my job is done. It, you know, it's better than ignoring people or blocking people or insulting right. people. You you can't do that. So it's I too easy these that. days, especially with social media, to, right. to to go on a run of uh, of uh, of you know I don't know memes or 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 even sometimes disrespectful tweets. Not that you do that, but you definitely see it out there, and it's, it it's a very interesting aspect of campaigning for sure. It is. So uh, before we wrap up, I want to ask, is there anything that is noteworthy with your campaign that we haven't mentioned, something that I'm missing that, you know, you want to make sure that people hear, whether they be voters or just folks that are interested in what candidates like you are wanting to bring to the table? I think the best thing to say is that we want to bring change. We want we want to make Rhode Island a better state for everyone. We don't just want them to do – we're not doing this for ourselves. None of us who are running right now, we are not doing this for our own benefit. It is hard work. It is difficult. It is exhausting. But we're not doing this for any sort of notoriety. We're not doing it for any sort of fame. We're not doing it because we're not. Certainly not for the money. (laughs) It's definitely not for the money. I mean, we are literally doing this because we have seen very little discernible change in our environment over the past 10, 15 years. And, and easily. many easily, yeah. and it's it's time. It is really time that we start taking things seriously, that we start making this a better state for everyone, that we start benefiting the people, not corporations, not lobbyists. It, it's just time to change the way we legislate here in Rhode Island, and we really need to start putting the people into politics and taking the politicians out of the matter because it's it's not working. Whatever we're doing right now is broken, and we need to fix it. And uh, and that's, that's what we're to do. yeah. Whatever we're doing right now is broken. I think that's the most succinct way that somebody could put it. It doesn't matter what side you're on; it's just mm-hmm. not working. Exactly. Um, and and you know, so I actually I want to kind of leave it on that note because uh, that's what the next sixty days or so uh, is going to be all about. Um, but I do want to truly thank you for coming on this podcast. Uh, this is obviously the inaugural episode, so it means a lot that you were here. 
Um, do you want to just tell uh, anybody who might be listening, voters, uh, people that want to support you, what's the best way for them to get in touch? You know, can they go online and give you a donation? Can they put a sign for you? What, what would be the best way for people to reach out to you? Absolutely. Everybody can email me at jendouglas4senate at gmail.com. They can go on my website, which is jenfordistrict34.org. That's J-E-N, the number four, district, the number 34.org. And all of my information is there. You can sign up to volunteer. You can leave me a donation. You can leave me a message. And I will always get back to you because my phone is always on, my email is always open, and I'm always happy to talk to people. And I really appreciate you having me on today. This was a lot of fun, actually. Well, it's been absolutely my pleasure. Jen, thank you so much, and uh, I wish you the best of luck with your race. Uh, if there's ever an opportunity and you'd like to come back on, maybe as we get closer to the uh, the general election, that would be great. I'm, I'm hoping your opponent will want to take advantage of it, too. While I'm not uh, bound by FCC rules, I think equal time is you know, a very important aspect of reporting anything. Absolutely. Um, so we shall see. But again, uh, thank you very much and, and the best of luck with everything. You too. Thank you so much. That really was a great conversation. However, it is now time to close out the political chat for this show. All further conversations will need to be held for further study. In the meantime, if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can reach us at 401-388-0787 or through email at contact at ringhousemedia.com. This Friday is the 19th anniversary of 9-11. The second half of this show is normally dedicated to discussing Rhode Island politics. However, this episode will close a little differently. I just want to take a moment to reflect on what that day was like back in 2001, how the country came together despite horrific tragedy. We are in the middle of it right now. Whether you're on the left, the right, or somewhere in the center, we need to restore honesty and integrity to the seats our elected officials hold. And as long as I can make these shows, I will continue to bring you the voices of the people that control your life in many ways. If they aren't honest, they will be held accountable. In the meantime, please keep the brave men and women who responded to the towers that day in your hearts. The same for the civilians that lost their lives. And of course, our heroes in the military. I'll see you again next week. Take care and God bless America.